Father Lord, we come before you, my God, humbled, my God, broken and contrite, my God, realizing that we're not yet completely whole without the fullness of your Holy Spirit and the absence of our sinful nature. And we realize, my God, that we have sinned against you and need your grace. So we come in contrition and in brokenness. We come in reverence, my God, submitted, my Lord, to your glory and, and humbled, my God, by the blood of Jesus that covers us, my God. And we ask you, forgive us of our sins wherever we have fallen short. We ask for provisions, my God, of the day. We ask, my God, that your spirit guide us and direct us, my Lord. We pray against every derision. We pray against every division. We pray against every dysfunctional spirit, Lord. And we pray, Father God, that the love of Jesus might overshadow us and might grow in us and might expand in us so that we might become a true light unto the nations, that we become a light unto the world, letting them know that Jesus is alive and his church is alive and it's alive in us and that they need to repent and become a part of the kingdom movement of God before the kingdom movement of men is destroyed. I pray, Father God, that you expose the devil wherever he may show his face. And I pray, Father God, that your glory will overshadow us and that we might be full of joy, the joy of the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ says that we can get an amen in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Praise God. Glory to God. Well, I'm glad to see you survived the first few days of understanding God. It was very intense, very intense. And, 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 and that intensity is linked to this reality. If we believe as disciples of Jesus Christ that we were in the garden, naked, without sin, clothed in the Holy Spirit, then we realize that the presence of God supervised our being 24 hours a day. We may not have totally understood him, but he totally counseled us by way of his Holy Spirit. When we lost the Holy Spirit, there was a void, and that void created shame, fear, and guilt, and that void resulted in the reality that we needed a new God. We needed a new God to fill the void, and that God is the sinful nature. So at the very beginning of understanding God, it does appear that God wanted to dethrone the sinful nature, and since we are sometimes confused and we identify ourselves with our sinful nature. Understand our sinful nature has no future. Jesus wouldn't have come and died for our sinful nature because the sinful nature is condemned. It was never meant to exist. It is a creation of Satan. And that creation has no future. It will end up in destruction. So Christ didn't come and die for the sinful nature. He came and died for you. So therefore, there's some part of you that's not one with your sinful nature. But you're going to have to come into a reality that there's a little bit of a confusion inside your mortal body between your sovereignty and your choices and the sovereignty and choices of your sinful nature. We did cover in Romans chapter 7, where Paul actually talks about the sinful nature as like a separate entity. It doesn't excuse us from its behavior but it does explain that it does operate with some sort of control that is separated from our sovereignty and that it usurps our sovereignty because as Christians, as disciples, right, we desire to serve God. We even call anytime the sinful nature has a control over, we call it a stronghold. We, we need deliverance, right? Because we've confessed with our mouth and we believe in our hearts and we've conceived in our mind the reality that we want to be completely one with God. 
Now, those in the world may not be able yet to see this confusion, but they also are going to be a part of that decision. They're also going to be part of that multitude in the valley of decision to have to decide. I sadly to say that there are multitudes in the valley of decision that don't even know they're there. They don't even know that they're part of the multitude in the valley of decision. We're using that as a typology to talk about deciding to receive Christ, but we're always in the valley of decision as far as picking up our cross every single day. And so in the first couple of days of understanding God, it was really intense. And it was intense because God had to dethrone our sinful nature. And since we are sometimes confused about the difference between our sinful nature and the soul that God had intended, we can sometimes get offended when the sinful nature gets offended. But a mature disciple, as you mature and you understand God, you shouldn't get offended when your sinful nature gets offended. You should be like, yeah, you need to be offended because you're trying to sit in the place of God. I don't even want you around. Wow. You say, wow, you talk to yourself like that, you'd sound schizophrenic. But if you read Romans chapter 7, you see Paul speaks in that same type of language. He identifies the sinful nature as an entity operating within his mortal members that he doesn't even want there. It makes him wretched that God needs to rescue him. So the first couple of days were really, really, really intense because God needed to knock the sinful nature out of his chair so that you could then rightfully elevate God at another level of glory into his place as God in your life. In fact, every revelation that takes you from glory to glory, every level of glory is a greater level of submission to the glory of God. Unfortunately, we do live in a world, and I'm speaking to you in a prophetic context from an apostolic position, okay? Unfortunately, we do live in a world in which there are many who claim Christ, but instead of actually playing a role in building the kingdom of God and playing a role in ministering to the church about the kingdom of God, they're actually building a Tower of Babel with Jesus' name on it. I'll leave you for that one to pray and let God give you a revelation. That was a side point. We're talking about understanding God. Hallelujah. And so this installment of understanding God, God wants to reveal the truth of the requirement for faith and belief in understanding God. See, we're finite beings with finite comprehension. So it would be impossible for us to completely understand God. And our ability to come in contact with understanding God is directly linked to our ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and hearken unto that voice, so that it gives us the understanding we need in the moment. But that understanding is not the complete consciousness of God. It's just the understanding needed in the moment. We must always remain aware that there's no way for us to completely understand God. To understand God then requires a degree of faith in the mystery of God. You know, we have a lot of faith and belief. A lot of people say, well, I don't have faith. I don't believe. I, don't, I, I only believe what I see. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have faith. That's a lie. Everybody operates with faith. How many of us know how an aircraft works? I mean, everything about aeronautics. 
but yet we still get on the plane and we trust in faith that the airline knew what they were doing, that the airline managed the engine properly, that the airline structured things properly, that the airline wouldn't take off the plane in a situation in which it wouldn't fly properly. We operate with a level of faith and belief. And that's faith and belief in man. We have faith and belief in our monetary system. We have faith and belief in our governmental system. We have faith and belief in our community systems. We operate all day, every day with faith and belief. The Bible says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Okay, but blessed is he who has his faith in the Lord. So by definition, to not operate in faith is an offense and a form of folly and ignorance on our part, because God is like, okay, you can have faith in men, but you can't have faith in me. And I'm more powerful and more true than men. And so as disciples of Jesus Christ and understanding God, we've got to realize that a very key part of us understanding him is having faith in the mystery of God. And unfortunately, since it is a mystery, we are always trying to solve the mystery. And when we can't solve the mystery, we have the temptation to resort to the faith of men. And we trust in natural things instead of spiritual things because we think we better understand natural things than we understand spiritual things. But the truth be known, we don't even understand the natural things as well as we think we do because all natural things had their origin in the spiritual world. Wow. So God demands us to have faith in belief in the mystery of who he is. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Understand that the big question that you may never really outwardly ask, but is deeply hidden within your subconscious, the deep question is, is there really a God? You see, that's the deep question. And I want to show you something. We're in, we're in Exodus chapter 3, and we're in the 14th verse, and it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am? I am sounds like an answer to a question. It sounds like it's the answer to the question, is there a God? And God's answering the question as his name, I am. Yes, I am here. I am what I am. And I shall prove to be what I shall prove to be. You say, but I haven't seen it. This is where faith and belief come in. You haven't seen every aspect of every technology that the world says it has its hands on, yet you're willing to have faith and trust in it. How many of you know how a train works? I mean, all the intricacies of a train. I'm sure when they create that little bullet train that flies on flywheels and, and doesn't have any physical friction because it doesn't literally touch the ground, it actually uses magnets to propel it. I'm sure you'll get on that train and go from Washington, New York in record time without knowing all the technology because of your faith and your belief in the sciences of men, but they're only using the science of God to build their science. And if God's science wasn't reliable, their science would fail. 
And so God says, I need you to have faith in me because I am. The mystery of God must be believed and you must have faith in the great I am. Now, again, like I said, we have this attitude where we kind of feel like we understand natural things a little better than we understand spiritual things. And God knows that. So he sees the questions in our minds. And this is why he said, and I want to just jump over to it. Let's just read it. In the book of Jeremiah, he says in the 11th verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, you had to say that because a lot of times we get the impression, God, you're killing me. You want me to endure this. You want me to go through this. How many of your children, how many times do you raise your children and you put them through any sort of discipline or you put them through any sort of exercise of effort in order to teach them character, in order to teach them uh, uh, discipline in order to build their character, they go, I can't do this. Oh, no, stop. Oh, no, no. And you're looking at them like, what is wrong with you? This is requirement for your maturity. Well, we are like little children in the hands of God. And there are a lot of things that God is doing in our life that are requirements for our maturity. And we don't think his plans are good plans. And we don't think his plans are going to prosper us. And we're convinced that his plans are going to harm us. But this is a lack of faith and belief in the mystery of God. Yes, God says, I am. And I plan to prosper you to give you a good name, to give you a future. The promises of God. Now, when you go to the airport, you don't tell them, oh, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm not going to walk through the metal detectors. I'm not going to show my ticket. Well, good luck trying to get on that plane. But you humble yourself, right? You submit right? To the parking regulations, you submit to the metal detectors, you submit to knowing, surrendering a ticket, you submit to listening to what gate they tell you to go to, you submit to waiting on whatever line they ask you to wait on, and you submit to whenever they say it's time to board, and if they say it's time to fasten your seatbelts, you submit to that, and if they tell you to turn off your cell phones, you submit to that, and if they say put your seat up right, you submit to that, and you submit to all of that just to ride a plane to fly from one place to another and it still might crash and so in faith and belief there is inevitably a need for submission brokenness and reverence see you give reverence to the airline because you trust in faith and belief without knowing everything about aeronautics without knowing everything about jet planes without knowing everything about supersonic jet planes you just heard you could get someplace twice as fast if you rode this supersonic jet you didn't go research the technology of supersonic jets you just ran down to the airport and bought a ticket to run this new plane and you submitted to every regulation that they gave you in order to get on that plane you had faith in man but god is saying i am that i am and i shall prove to be what i shall prove to be and i know the plans i have for you plans to prosper you to give you a good name and a future 
But there, we want to question it. We want to see every, now we want to see every jot and tittle. Now we want to see if it's going to happen. We're going to take one little step like we're dipping our feet in boiling water before we take a step because I don't know. I'm not so sure. Well, wait a minute. You didn't have that problem when you went to the airport. You didn't have that problem getting on the plane. Because we tend to exercise more faith in man than we do in God. Because we believe we understand physical things more than we understand spiritual things. But we don't understand physical things as well as we think we do. Because everything in the physical world had its origin in the spirit world. Which is why Jesus himself said, the flesh counts for nothing. See, the spirit counts for everything. Because everything, even the flesh, had its birthing from a spiritual place. Spirit is first. Flesh is a distant second. Quite distant second. And so when Moses was challenging God to tell me, what is your name? And what am I going to tell these people? I mean, you want to fight Egypt, the greatest world power in the world, with a stick and an old man. He said, tell them that I am, that I am have sent you. The same I am. Remember, I once taught this lesson also about the fact that faith does not come without proof. God never asks for blind faith with no proof. So then right after that, he says, I am that I am, right? He says, tell him that the I am has sent you. And then he says, say to the Israelites, we're back in Exodus chapter 3, we're now in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your, fa your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Stop. They remember how well Abraham fared. They remember how well Isaac fared. They remember how well Jacob fared. See, there's the proof that goes behind the faith. So he said, I am. I've proven myself. I proved myself to Abraham. I proved myself to Isaac. I proved myself to Jacob. And he's proving himself to you. But it always starts with some leap of faith. Some people think Abraham was just called out of the darkness. And he just trusted in a voice that popped in his head. No, Abraham had spent years with Noah and Seth. And Noah and Seth had already given him proof of the power and the authority and the anointing of God. God never asks for faith and belief without some sign of proof. It may not be the sign you want, but it will be a sign. And so in your life, where is the strength of your submission? And where is the strength of your faith? Is your strength and your submission in the natural things, the things that you can muster with your natural ability? Is your faith in your business? Is your faith in your money? Is your faith in your wealth? Is your faith in your health? Is your faith in your knowledge? Is your faith in the government? Is your faith in the monetary system? Is your faith in the consistency of whatever little thing you're doing in the natural? This was Esau's problem because Esau had his faith grounded in the fact that he was a big 
strong, burly man and a great hunter. His faith was in his ability. It never dawned on him that this ability came from God, that all these things you're able to do in the natural had its origin in a spiritual place. Before I even sowed, before you even sowed in the womb, I knew you. So Esau got all this power from God, but he was so short-sighted. He trusted in the natural things and he sold his birthright to Jacob because for what do I need a birthright? Look at me, I'm Esau. Are you Esau? Are you Jacob? Most people believe Jacob was sort of more like a mama's boy, somewhat more vulnerable to his circumstances. And so he was more willing to trust in the faith of the Lord because basically that was his destiny. What is our destiny? Are we going to have faith and belief in the mystery of the I am? Or are we going to have faith and belief in the mystery of man? I'm going to read this last scripture to you because we're wrapping up. We're in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. And it says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wasteland. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond all cure, who can understand it? So I'm gonna leave you with this reality. If you sit back and you're very real and very reflective, you will see somewhere in your life where you exercise more faith in men and more faith in natural things than you do in God. That's a level of glory you have to transcend. To understand God, you must have faith and belief in the mystery of God because he's answering your question, but do you have faith in it? You're asking the question, will I prosper? Will I succeed? Will I live? Will I die? Will I ascend or will I descend? Is there a God who can protect me and cover me and lift me up? I'm not talking about your theological question, because of course you're going to say, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'm talking about that D, D, D place that drives your actual behavior. Can you hear that still voice in the background saying, yes, my son, yes, my daughter, I am, and I have great plans for you plans to prosper you and give you a good name. Only submit and be obedient and listen to me and follow my direction. Don't look at what happens in the natural because the flesh counts for nothing. Father Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your special name among men. We ask that your glory continue to move in us, my God, and that we continue to grow in our faith and understanding of your righteousness. 
We thank you, Father, and help us to have that deep faith and confidence in you that allows us to know that you are and that we are following the great I am. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Have a great morning, saints. You all too.